Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. When I was growing up. Anytime anything on television came on that was related to the supernatural or UFOs or ghosts, I would be all over the television. I could never get enough of it. One of my favorite shows, one that I never missed, was the Leonard Nimoy hosted In Search Of. But In Search Of wasn't the only place I found this alternate information. When we went to the supermarket, I would read those trashy newspapers that you'd get at the checkout that had stories of UFO encounters and abductions. I even had a subscription to the magazine for strange events, the Forte and Times, and would read issues over and over and over again. At one point in my youth, a TV show called Kolchak the Night Stalker started showing up in reruns, and I thought it was one of the greatest things. Here was a reporter who was finding all those things I was reading about or seeing on In Search Of. In 1993, a TV show premiered called The X-Files, and even though... At that point, I was a little older. It went right to my core. It appealed to that Fortean times in search of loving kid, and I couldn't stop watching it. I still watch it today, and I have often wondered what it is about the show that attracts me. Do I like science fiction? Yes, I love science fiction, and I enjoy horror a great deal. But I also think that there's a small part of me that wants to believe, just like the show says, in these things. Who wishes that they would see aliens, or that vampires and these scary monsters might actually be out there. Now I'm pretty sure much of those things do not exist, but for a brief time I got to live in a world where they did exist, because I had nine seasons of The X-Files. On today's show we're going to talk about The X-Files. We'll talk about the people behind the camera, the people in front of the camera, and we'll talk about the production, the reception, the movies where you can find the X-Files today, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. The X-Files is a science fiction horror drama created by Chris Carter, premiered on September 10th, 1993 on the Fox Television Network. It starred both David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson, both playing FBI special agents, Duchovny playing Fox Mulder, and Gillian Anderson playing Dana Scully. Chris Carter, the creator, was born in 1957, an American television producer, writer, director, born in California started his career as a writer working at a surfing magazine, 
and then got a job working at Walt Disney Studios. It was really when he created the X-Files that he became something of a superstar, and he would create three more television series, Millennium, Harsh Realm, and The Lone Gunman. Of those shows, none of them were really much of a success, and nothing in his career would rival the success he has had with The X-Files. The X-Files itself was inspired by shows that I grew up with, TV shows like The Twilight Zone and Night Gallery, as well as Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and of course, Kolchak the Night Stalker, which I had covered in an earlier podcast. It's interesting, Carter, who had been working at Disney, was doing mostly work on comedies. And just as the 90s were getting underway, all these sort of factors in Carter's life started to coalesce. He was thinking of the Watergate scandal. He had been reading reports about Americans who believed they were abducted by aliens. All that came together in what would become the pilot for the X-Files. He pitched it to the Fox executives, and they rejected it. He would go home, add a little bit more, come back, and they gave him the go-ahead to make a pilot. For the pilot, he would work with NYPD Blue producer Daniel Sackheim. With Sackheim's input on the pilot, other influences were brought to bear. The documentary The Thin Blue Line, the English television series Prime Suspect, the movie Silence of the Lambs, all of these various sources helped to influence the beginning of the show. Now all they needed to do was find their two leads. David Duchovny had been working in Los Angeles for three years, doing a lot of television and trying to work in feature films. In 93, his manager gave him a script to the pilot, and he went in to read. When he did, Carter thought, well, this guy's pretty good. But Duchovny had kind of gone in a slow way, and Carter wasn't all that convinced that he would be intelligent enough to play Fox Mulder. Of course, they would get to know each other, and Duchovny would turn out to be the perfect Fox Mulder for Carter. Now, for Scully, the network had notes, and they wanted a tall blonde to play against Fox Mulder. Anderson, who was 24 years old at the time, was a theater veteran with very little in the way of film experience. Carter saw her, though, and thought, she is perfect. She's a great actress, and she had this no-nonsense delivery that he thought really captured how Scully should be. So their two main characters were cast. Now where were they going to film it? Originally they wanted to film the pilot in LA, but they were trying to find locations for many scenes and they couldn't because a lot of those needed to be in the forests. So they moved production to Vancouver, which had the locations. It also happened to be a little bit more affordable. So for the first five seasons of the show, it was filmed in rainy, gray Vancouver, and then starting in season six, they moved back down to LA. That brought in a lot of changes. There had been this whole other crew and all these other different talent that they could only get in Canada up there. So when they moved south, so many things had to change. And if you watch the show, you can even see that just the way the show was filmed, it brightened up. It went from grays and blues to sorts of reds and browns, these sort of much brighter show. The show had some amazing writers, many who've gone on to great stuff right now. Probably the biggest one would be Vince Gilligan. Gilligan prolific writer on the X-Files. He was also the co-creator of the spin-off The Lone Gunman. You probably know him now as the creator of Breaking Bad and the upcoming spin-off Better Call Saul. Frank Spotnitz, writer and producer on the X-Files. I'm pretty excited. He has been contracted to work on a four-hour adaptation of the Philip K. Dick novel The Man in the High Castle with Ridley Scott. I'm really looking forward to seeing that if it ever happens. 
Howard Gordon, in addition to working on The X-Files, but also work on the TV series 24, and on the Showtime thriller Homeland. John Sheevan is another writer-producer on the show and work on The X-Files and The Lone Gunman. He also worked on Star Trek Enterprise, Supernatural, Breaking Bad, and The Vampire Diaries. I think most recently he worked on the TV show Hell on Wheels. In addition to great writers, there was also some great directors. Director Kim Manners did the majority of directing on the TV show. Manners was a producer, director, and child actor. Most notably worked on The X-Files and Supernatural. He was not the only talented person, though, to work behind the camera. Now with a little bit more about a frequent director of The X-Files is Vic Sage with Why Should I Know This Person? Hi friends, Vic Sage here with Why Should I Know This Person? And this week we're going to be taking a look at X-Files director Rob Bowman. Rob Stanton Bowman was born on May 15, 1960 in Wichita Falls, Texas. In his adolescence, Rob grew up around film and television productions when hanging out with his father, Chuck Bowman, who's directed episodes of The Incredible Hulk, The A-Team, The Greatest American Hero, T.J. Hooker, and MacGyver, to name just a few. Rob himself had become interested in the film business thanks to 1939's The Wizard of Oz, and later while hanging out on the sets with his father, where he worked as an assistant crew member. On those sets, he was impressed by how the hard work of the crew becomes invisible once the project is completed. He was once quoted, What remains are the emotions and the drama of the story and the characters. What remains is the magic. Bowman moved to Utah in his later teen years, where he worked as a bartender and a ski bum. Attending the University of Utah, he took a film production class and realized that being a film director was, in fact, his life's calling. Moving to Los Angeles, Rob secured a job at Stephen Cannell Productions, where he would work for over two years. He started in the mailroom and worked his way up to supervising second unit work. He worked on such TV shows as MacGyver, The A-Team, Stingray, 21 Jump Street, and Werewolf before moving on. At 27 years old, after leaving Stephen Cannell Productions, Bowman's next directorial project was for an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation entitled Where No One Has Gone Before, the sixth episode of season one. He would go on to direct 12 more episodes of the series and even was an uncredited voice for the Borg in Q Who. Rob has gone on to direct episodes of various TV series and feature films, including Baywatch, Mancuso FBI, two episodes of the 1991 Dark Shadow series, Quantum Leap, The Hat Squad, 12 episodes of Parker Lewis Can't Lose, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., 33 episodes of The X-Files, where he would be made a producer for the series, and the 1998 X-Files movie. He also directed the pilot for the Lone Gunman spinoff, as well as the theatrical films Reign of Fire and Elektra. Recently, he's directed 20 episodes of the hit TV show Castle, and has held the title of executive producer for 97 episodes. This has been Vic Sage with Why Should I Know This Person? Signing off until next time. Thanks, Vic. In the X-Files, Fox Mulder and Dana Scully, special agents of the FBI. One, Mulder is a believer in the paranormal, while Scully is a skeptic. Brought together, they investigate paranormal cases, things like alien conspiracies, ghosts, vampires, you name it. Many of these things, especially the alien stuff, is being engineered by shadowy groups. 
So it's up to them and them alone because who else can they trust to try to solve these mysteries and bring the truth to the greater masses? Now this truth, this sort of mythology, is referred to by people as the myth arc, the long-running arc of mythology in the show. Most of this myth arc involves extraterrestrial beings who are often referred to as colonists, whose primary goal is to colonize our planet. This should have happened, I guess, what is it, 2014? This should have happened in 2012, so I guess Scully and Mulder did it, saved us. This show has so many characters, but I will try to concentrate on a couple that I think are important. Yet Fox Mulder, played by David Duchovny. David Duchovny was born in 1960, probably best known for playing Fox Mulder. Lately, he's been playing Hank Moody on Californication. He would work on the X-Files from seasons 1 through 7, and then intermittently through 8 and 9. Before the X-Files, he was probably best known for his role as a DEA agent on Twin Peaks, and as the narrator host in the Showtime erotica series, The Red Shoe Diaries. The name Mulder is actually the maiden name of Chris Carter's mother. Kind of fun fact. Dana Scully who would appear as the main character from seasons 1 through 9, is portrayed by Gillian Anderson. Scully is an FBI agent and doctor. She is the skeptical one of the main duo. When they were casting the show, David Duchovny did not know Anderson. He had suggested his friend Jennifer Beals, who had been a classmate of his back in college, to play the lead role. But as you heard earlier, Anderson really did well in the audition process. But the network really did not seem convinced of her power because when she got pregnant at the start of season two, some network execs thought, well, this is a really good time to recast her role. But Carter stood by her firmly. Anderson was born in 1968, probably best known for the X-Files, but has done some really good film work, including The House of Mirth, The Last King of Scotland, and, like David Duchovny, both X-Files films. Walter Skinner, who was in all nine seasons of the show, was played by Mitch Pileggi. Mitch Pileggi is by far the most enjoyable name to say in the credits. I always loved saying Mitch Pileggi. really sticks in your head. Pelegi played the assistant director of the FBI, a former Marine, Vietnam War vet. Pelegi was born in 52, probably best known for his work on The X-Files. He would also appear on Stargate Atlantis, a recurring role on Sons of Anarchy, and most recently on TNT's revival of Dallas. When David Duchovny stepped away from the TV series, they needed to bring someone in to replace him. Over 100 actors auditioned for the role, and 10 were considered, including Bruce Campbell and Lou Diamond Phillips. The person who got it was Robert Patrick, who at that point was probably best known for his work in Die Hard 2 and Terminator 2 as the T-1000. He would play John Doggett in seasons 8 and 9. Much like Scully, he's a skeptic, non-believer, very different than Mulder, and brings a different energy to the show. In season 8 and 9, they also brought in a new female FBI agent, Monica Reyes, who was played by Annabeth Gish. Reyes took the Mulder role. She was a believer. In addition to her work on The X-Files, Gish did some film work, including Mystic Pizza and Double Jeopardy. On TV, she was on The West Wing and in the Showtime series Brotherhood. The Smoking Man was played by William B. Davis. The Smoking Man is the villain of the show, the guy pulling the strings. Davis is a Canadian actor, born in 1938, Probably best known for his role as the smoking man or the cigarette smoking man. Fun fact, even though he was forced to smoke on the show, and he had just given up smoking before he was on the show, so at some point they switched to him smoking herbal cigarettes. He's an outspoken supporter of the Canadian Cancer Society. Alex Krychek was portrayed by Nicholas Lee. Krychek was this 
sort of sleeper agent assigned to work with Mulder. He's a bad guy working for the cigarette-smoking man. Lee was born in 1962. He's a Canadian actor, probably best known for his work as Alex Krychek. He would also play a role on the TV show Kyle XY. Prolific actor Calum Keith Rennie turned down the Krychek role because he didn't want to commit to a TV show at the time. He would later appear in the X-Files in the film from 2008, I Want to Believe. Rounding out the cast, you had Jerry Harden playing Deep Throat. You had the lone gunman. Byers who was played by Bruce Harwood. Frohuki, who was played by Tom Braidwood. Richard Langley, who was played by Dean Hagland. And finally, you had Mr. X, who was portrayed by Stephen Williams. just want to mention Stephen Williams because he's one of my favorite character actors. Born in Memphis, Tennessee. Played Captain Fuller on the TV series 21 Jump Street. He was on the TV show The Equalizer and played one of the troopers in The Blues Brothers. Real fun actor to watch. Today's show is brought to you by Local Exterminator. Having issues with mysterious insects that come from nowhere? Don't call the FBI. Call your local exterminator. Gotta love those exterminators. From the very beginning, first season, there was a title sequence, and for much of the run of the show, it would not change. The only thing that would occasionally change is the tagline that would flash at the end. Sometimes it would say the truth is out there, but when there was a show that had sort of mythology in it, often they would put a different word in there that would be a hint as to what the show was going to be about. In season eight, they did some changes finally. They added Patrick and updated the photos of the characters. Something you might not have noticed, if you look closely at Mulder and Scully's ID, it says Federal Bureau of Justice, United States Department of Investigation. This was necessary. They couldn't put a fake FBI badge up there because even if you were making one for fictional purposes, it is illegal. One of the things that makes that intro so compelling is the music. It was composed by Mark Snow, who got involved with the X-Files through a relationship he had with the executive producer on the show. He had to audition three times, never heard anything, and then just one day out of the blue, he got the call from his agent telling him he was on to make the music for the X-Files. The theme that you hear is called The X-Files, and it is instrumental. The show itself is extremely instrumental. The whistling sound that you hear was inspired by a Smith song called How Soon Is Now, which is on their album Meat Is Murder. I don't know much about how music is made, but Snow used a Proteus II rack mount synth, and the effect that you're hearing is called Whistling Joe. The music for the TV show had been digitally crafted until the films, and then Snow got to work with an orchestra to make the music for the films that would come out. The show premiered on Friday night, 9 p.m., on September 10, 1993, and it wasn't a huge hit at first. But it started to get word of mouth, and as that word of mouth spread, the show got more and more popular. In season 1, it finished 105th. In season 2, it finished 63rd. In season 3, it finished 55th. Then in season 4, they moved the show to Sunday, and it's suddenly number 12. And then season 5, it's number 11. Then things start to slip, and eventually it would move to number 29, number 31, and then finally in season 9, it finishes number 63. So... Still better than season one, almost the same as season two, and they decide to pull the plug. 
the show would receive many awards during its nine-season run. It would get 62 nominations for Emmy Awards and win 16 of them. That credit sequence that I talked about, X-Files crew members Bruce Bryant, Carol Johnson, and James Castle won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Individual Achievement in Graphic Design and Title Sequences, which would be the first award that the X-Files would win, and that was in 1994. The show was nominated for 12 Golden Globe Awards and would win five. The first nomination for that was in 94. The show was also nominated for three Directors Guild of America Awards, nine Television Critics Association Awards, and two Writers Guild of America Awards. Which X-Files episodes are the best? Here's Metagirl with the Retroist Top 5 list of best X-Files episodes ever. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1... Greetings, retro fans! This is Metagirl, bringing you the top five episodes of the science fiction horror drama, The X-Files. At number five is season four, episode 20, Small Potatoes. When five unrelated women all give birth to babies with small tails, it's a good bet that their children all have the same father. And yet, the mothers provide very different physical descriptions of their respective baby daddies. How could this be? Unless... The man who impregnated these ladies also happened to be a shapeshifter. Number four is season four, episode two, Home. Scully and Mulder investigate the death of a newborn child found in a shallow grave on the outskirts of a small town. The local sheriff tells the agents that the three brothers who lived nearest to where the baby was found are all simple-minded, the product of generations of inbreeding in the Peacock family. When the sheriff is killed, all evidence points to the peacocks, and Scully and Mulder are shocked at what they find in the house. Number three is season three, episode four, Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose. Psychics are being killed, and Mulder and Scully are on the case. The local police have brought in a well-known TV psychic that Mulder finds laughable. But during the investigation, he does come across a legitimate psychic, an insurance salesman named Clyde Bruckman played by Peter Boyle. But Clyde's supernatural gifts are limited to one type of vision, to see how people will die. At number two is season two, episode five, Dwayne Barry. Mulder acts as a hostage negotiator when Dwayne Barry takes four people prisoner. Barry, who is a former FBI agent, believes that he is an alien abductee and that his abductors will return soon. Mulder wants to believe, but when Scully starts sleuthing, everything Barry has said gets called into question. Is Barry telling the truth? Watch the snail biter to find out. And the number one episode of The X-Files is... Season 1, Episode 8, Ice. In this top-ranked episode, which borrows from the classic films The Thing and Thing from Another World, Mulder, Scully, and three scientists travel to the Arctic to investigate what happened to the previous team of scientists sent there, and discover what they believe is a parasitic life form that makes its host want to kill other people. And there you have it, the Retroists' top five episodes of the television series The X-Files. Until next time, List fans, this has been Metagirl. Thanks, Metagirl. As the seasons marched on and we got into season five, Carter wanted to wind the show down and take it from the small screen to the big screen. So during the fifth season, they started to film a movie. And in the summer of 1998, The X-Files Fight the Future was released. Of course, during the intervening time, 
Fox and Carter came to an agreement, so the sixth season follows up right after the movie ends. The film would do pretty well. It cost about $66 million to make, and its box office would reach $189 million. A lot of that success came from international box office, because even though the movie had decent reviews, attendance dropped really hard after the first weekend. In 2001, Carter said that he would like to do a second film after the series ended. This film would become The X-Files, I Want to Believe. Filming began in December of 2007 and finished in 2008, and it was released on July 25, 2008. By the end of its theatrical run, it had grossed just about $20.1 million domestically and then earned an additional $47.3 million internationally for a total of $68.3 million. The reviews were not great. It also didn't have a great release time. It came out around the same time as The Dark Knight. Carter, Anderson, and Duchovny had claimed that they would be willing to do more of the films, but so far the studios haven't stepped up to try to make a third film. It would be kind of interesting to see what they could come up with in a more modern age, and especially how they would deal with the fact that colonization date was in 2012, and we still haven't been colonized yet. There was a spin-off series for The X-Files, The Lone Gunman, the Lone Gunmen were a trio of conspiracy guys who were trying to make good in the world. The show debuted at 13.2 million viewers and then steadily began to drop. The program was canceled after just 13 episodes, and the final episode was broadcast in June 2001, and it was a cliffhanger that would be resolved in the ninth season of The X-Files in an episode titled Jump the Shark, which is a reference to the Happy Days episode where Fonzie jumps the shark and also the idea that TV shows that are going bad jump the shark. The X-Files spawned various merchandise, comics, video games, collector's cards, you name it. The three video games that it would inspire would be the X-Files game, which was released for the PC and Macintosh in 98. A year later, it would come out on the PlayStation. In 2000, Fox released the X-Files Unrestricted Access which was a database of information about the show. In 2004, The X-Files Resist or Serve was released, which is a survival horror game released for the PlayStation 2. If you're a comic fan, there have been comics in the past about The X-Files, but if you really need your new X-Files fix, there's a real fun series called The X-Files Season 10, which is currently running, and I've been enjoying it a great deal. In 1996, The X-Files started to be released on VHS. I still have a lot of my original VHS tapes. Sadly, these tapes, which were released in waves, did not include every episode. So if you're a fan, you had to wait, because eventually they would get released on DVD. And on those DVDs, you could get every episode. I think some of those VHS tapes also had collectible cards in them. And I'm pretty sure I have a couple lying around somewhere around here. There have been rumors of an X-Files Blu-ray TV release for quite a while. I thought that I would see that in 2013. You can get the movies on Blu-ray, but we're still in a holding pattern on the Blu-ray. I'm looking forward to adding that to my high-definition collection. If you don't buy any of the X-Files DVDs, it's often on streaming services, so check Amazon or Netflix or whoever you use. You might be able to find it there to watch. I love television, but there are not a ton of shows that I would be willing to marathon, say, on a holiday, or just put on in the background and run from start to finish. The X-Files is one of those shows. It's got a lot of great standalone episodes, sort of this monster of the week stuff that have nothing to do with the myth arc. And then they have this long-running story that pulls you in and brings you closer to these characters. And you do get lost in it. If you've never seen an episode of The X-Files, you are in luck. 
run out, get yourself a copy of season one. You will enjoy episode after episode. Then you'll hit episode eight, which is ice, and you'll be blown away. You'll think, wow, this was on television? This combination of great writers, directors, actors, artistic people behind the scenes all coming together in the perfect situation to make a iconic show. And that's what The X-Files is. It's an iconic show that everyone should see. It's a scientific fact. A scientific fact. It has to be correct. It has to be exact. Because it is, because it is a scientific fact. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist.com and twitter.com slash retroist. Thanks to Vic Sage for another great Why Should I Know This Person. If you have email for Vic, you can email him at vicsage at retroist.com. Thanks to Metagirl for another great top five list. If you have feedback for Metagirl or a list suggestion, you can email her at metagirl at retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Which are a hazard for future space flyers to overcome. It's a scientific fact. A scientific fact. It has to be correct. It has to be exact. Because it is, because it is a scientific fact. I made this. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.